Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Demartini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show that's coming up right next. The following audio is via a Skype call. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Welcome. It's so great to have all of you tune us in, turn us on, and actually... What a great day it is. I wanted to say to everybody, uh, uh, you know, I, I love what I do. But, you know, I'm, more importantly, I love what I learn. And, Benny, I learn a lot. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I do, too. Every day is a learning, a learning experience. Yeah. yeah. Dr. Frank Fashuti is joining us here mm-hmm. today. And we're going to be talking about the chrysalis uh, crisis. And one of the things I like about this is being able to talk with him. Because I like people that actually uh, call things what they are. I, I like that when we have a crisis, we're going to say crisis. I like that, you know, when we think we have a failure, we say failure, as you just heard in the opening of the show. But the difference is this. What is it about what we say, what we know, what we don't know, where a level of consciousness is that either, I, I'm going to use a strong word, dictates who we become or not become. You know, what is it about our human functioning, right? And and how we discover it. In the last hour, you heard us talk about a number of different things. Um, but one of the things you heard us talk about is the complication that arises from a little old two-word construct, self-doubt. But in the world we live in, You know, we talk about many things. Transformation Talk Radio talks about everything from sex to spirituality, and some people say they're not different. And I happen to live in a place that caused a lot of castration during my family outing one day. And I live in a place that made it, I believe, to number one at the top of the spiritual list, spiritual but not religious. Now that for me was a very, very interesting holiday topic one year. But today we're gonna be talking about why is it that in crisis for many of us, whether you heard me talk about my mom's suicide or being homeless, losing my job, what is it about crisis? that can turn our lives around for the better. What is the energy of it? And if you are somebody like me who got a taste of psychological crisis or got a taste of what some people call a paranormal intervention or activity, which gets you in front of Dr. Jacoby, then we're going to be talking about a lot of things today for all of you. And we have a couple of copies of Dr. Frank's book to give away. Um, Great book, 
great conversation, but here's the question. Do we actually know how life's ordeal can lead to personal transformation? Do you have an inkling of it? Do you have a sense of it? Does it happen more often than you think? Uh, thank you for joining me here uh, to the show, Dr. Pashuti. Thank you so much. I mean, you are somebody that, first of all, you know, you are licensed clinical psychologist. You're a certified hypnotherapist. You know, you're in private practice. You know, you are uh, the founder and president of Associated Clinicians of Virginia. Uh, I could go on about the things you've done, the research you've done, the awards you've received, everything from a clinical perspective to a psychic perspective. And so for me today, and writing this book in particular, this is, I believe, a way to address the day and age we live in that goes beyond perception. So Dr. Prosciutti, I wanna thank you for joining me here today. Well, Dr. Pat, thank you for having me on your show. And I really look forward to the opportunity to respond to your questions and uh, to address the issues you've already raised. So look, I, I want to start out with a simple question. And I just gave everybody like a little, uh, uh, how should I say it, brief, brief introduction to you. I could go on about the fabulous work you've done and the incredible book you've written, but I want to start with this. I would love to know, here we are, we're talking about this book, right? We're talking about so much. We're talking about the fact that you, your quote from Mahatma Gandhi, uh, Mahatma Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi, on the, if you want to change the world, start with yourself. Here's the question. I'd love to know what obstacles and challenges you, Doc, you've had to overcome to bring you right here to this moment with all of us. <laughs> well, you want me to go first? I'll be happy to do so. Do it. Uh, yeah, well, you know, there's been, there's been, I mean, one of the things I realize I'm just as, just as uh, likely to have crises in my life have certainly had my share and uh, they're, they're always difficult and, and the simplest terms crises get our attention, you know, and there's a, uh, couple of those uh, beliefs that there's always going to be a certain amount of suffering in life and things are always changing. So and usually they both appear at a time of a crisis. But as a psychotherapist, I find that when people are in crisis, they are very motivated to change. Uh, they not only want to have the, uh, they want to only navigate through the immediate impact of the crisis, but then there's a point in therapy where you pivot and you start looking at like how, what is it about how I personally handled this crisis? It could be a crisis like um, having a marriage end and divorce or somebody you love die. Um, so in my own life, I've had a couple of crises and I realized, you know, there was that initial getting over the, the, the first response to the crisis, but then it was like, so let's say you have somebody who dies that you love. Yeah. Uh, lots of feelings happening after that, you know, lots of feelings, feelings of sadness, feelings of anger, maybe feelings of fear. Uh, and in terms of like working through that crisis and trying to come out whole again, sometimes you bump up against areas of your own, you know, what they call pre-morbid condition, the, the status that you held before that incident and find out that some of the very areas that, you know, are holding you up from healing and growing are the areas where you need growth and change. And that's where, that's where the, that's where the, the transformation comes in. So let's say at one time you, uh, you lost somebody, and uh, I had worked with a fellow who I cite in the book who was a very brilliant man, engineer, and 
physicist, and um, he, he, he had no, he had very little awareness of his feelings. So after his wife died relatively suddenly and he was left to care for his two young children, his ability to get through that required that he open up and learn more about his feelings, his feelings of grief and sadness, his ability to commu identify and communicate those feelings, to be empathic to those of his children and others around him. And so the navigating through the crisis and the growth that occurred afterwards made for amazing change in him. So that in that one situation, there's where the transformation comes in. Yeah, and in your book, you talk about these 10 key areas of human growth and development, and you lay these out in many, many different ways. And I love the way you do this. You know, for example, you, you know, this is not a book that you pick up and you read it like an academic text. This is this is something you pick up, and it, you know, for me. I can personally relate to the stories because of the how vividly they are, are they are depicted. And I want to just take a moment here because I don't want to be insensitive to the horrific acts that happened uh, and the shooting that happened in the uh, festival in California. I, I think I would be remiss if I didn't talk about it because we are talking about crisis today. And we've yet to know and or understand, you know, what that cri what that crisis of today will bring. But m my question to you, as you went through and you looked at these and you looked at these foundational areas of development, were you or, or better yet, what were some of the aha moments? Like, you know, sometimes when we write a book or we publish research or we do a bunch of things, right? This aha thing pops up that we didn't expect. It's like, what did I, what am I writing? Did you have any of those? Well, you know, I, I will tell you something I did. I kind of like a, didn't exactly answer your question, but I'll tell you something that wasn't in the book that okay. happened while I was writing the book. Yeah. I was there's this book is kind of transitions from a more conventional way of looking at growth that could come out of crises. And you mentioned the way it has the 10 keys. The first five are pretty foundational, like how crises impacts us or what we need to learn, you know, physically, intellectually, emotionally, socially and morally. And then it moves a little bit more into uh, areas that are more personal, like uh, how we see our identity or how our identity can change after a certain crisis or how we view ourselves differently or our capacity to be open and intimacy growth or existential issues like life and death, which often get triggered in a crisis where we may come close to death or we're dealing with death and responsibility and freedom. For me, as I moved into the last section, it took the greatest risk on my part because as a clinical psychologist, transpersonal experiences like yeah. psychic experiences and near-death experiences or uh, people who have what they believe to be our past life memories. These areas are not as embraced by my colleagues. A lot of them will still say, hey, they must be delusional or look for pathological diagnoses to explain what the person is bringing in in their experience. So for me, it took the greatest risk. And interestingly, and coincidentally or synchronistically, if you will, as I as I was transitioning from writing the sections that were more conventional and easier to discuss um, and moved into the transpersonal areas, I got a diagnosis of cancer. And I had suddenly, like a lot of people, when they hear the big C, it was like, whoa, this is surprising. This was not expected. 
And I thought to myself, okay, so what, how am I going to use this? I mean, after I kind of dealt with being blown away a little bit by it, it was bladder cancer and came to find later also uh, prostate cancer, both of which I'm happy to say have been resolved. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm on the good foot again and healthy and cancer free. But at that juncture, it became like a bit of an existential kick in the pants because I said to myself, okay, so if, I, this, if this is going to take me out, what will I regret not having said or done if I find myself on my deathbed? What will I have not broached in this book, worried about whether people were going to agree with me or whether my colleagues would support me or whether my family would abandon me? And that really prompted me to use that experience as a catalyst for just saying, moving into growth, getting past fears, getting past concerns about acceptance totally. And so I'd say that was one that happened during the book. And, it, and, and like I said, it happened right in, between yeah. the, right in between the time I was about to move into that section. You know, it's, I love that you shared that. First of all, I want to thank you for sharing that. I love that you shared that because, you know, I, like you, graduated, you know, from school and was expected to go down a certain path. But what I discovered in the state that I live in, in Washington state, I wasn't going to be able to practice at the time any form of clinical psychology whatsoever and also say the word spirituality. I wasn't going to even be able to bring it up. I wasn't going to be able. There was a whole long list of things. And so I, I don't think, and I'll try to say this as quickly as I can, for the people listening, right? First of all, my the dean of my school saw me standing, holding two thunder eggs, and he thought they were crystals, and banned me from working with any of the students at the school, even though my research won awards and my dissertation. So the, the, the what you mentioned is real, right? I commend you for doing that. The other thing I want to talk about, too, in reference to the book, is you and I both had similar experiences. I came down with a mystery disease six, six months after saying yes to buying airtime to talk about positive, holistic, spiritual, any and all of the above stuff. When we come back, we're going to talk about how people, quite a few people, that go through the kinds of things we're talking about, and they don't have to be quite that, how they too can understand each moment is a strengthening. As you say in the book, and in the spirit of, uh, I want to say, one of the judges on The Voice, that which doesn't kill you will make us stronger. Let's take a short break. We'll be right back. Dream on, lie high, and live adventurously on The Laura Meeks Show. Tune in each month on Transformation Talk Radio as host Laura Meeks guides you in finding your unique gifts and bringing them to life. As a certified life coach, speaker, and veteran bomber pilot for the U.S. Air Force, Laura knows how to follow a dream. She is ready to support you so you can dream on, fly high, and live adventurously. For more information on Laura and her work, visit flyhighliving.com. It's time to get your life back on Burn Bright Today with Jennifer Marcinelli. Tune in each month on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Learn to move from the darkness of burning out to the light of burning bright. 
Jennifer is redefining stress and the energetic causes of burnout, shining a light on process to get your life back. For more information about Jennifer and her work, visit burnbrighttoday.com. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show, talk radio to thrive by. I am so thrilled to be talking to all of you. We have got talk radio for all of us. Are you ready and willing and able to accept all of the abundance you can muster up in your life? Check us out at drpatshow.com, transformationtalkradio.com, transformationradio.fm. Oh my goodness. Are you your story? Or can you change your story? Can you change what you believe to be true about yourself and your circumstances as part of your healing journey? What if you were to change your expectations? What if you were to invite ease and cooperation into every day and then step back and see what happens? It might just be easier. I'm Megan Edge. And I hope that you'll join me on my new radio show, Playing on the Edge, Radical Change with Ease, with my co-host, Dr. Pat, on Transformation Talk Radio. I look forward to seeing you there. Want to find out more about Megan Edge? Visit her website at meganedge.ca. Are you ready to create a life you'll really love? Then you'll want to tune in to the hit show Life Design Radio from Adversity to Awesome with Susan DiLorenzo. Live each month on TransformationTalkRadio.com. No matter where you are in your adversity story, Life Design Radio has got you covered. Get ready to feel inspired, enlightened, and motivated. For more information about working with Susan, visit SusanDiLorenzo.com. Wow, welcome back, welcome back. Oh, my gosh, what an interesting thing just happened to us. Um, For those of you just tuning in, I just want to be super clear. Uh, Yes, you are listening to the Dr. Pat Show. We are talking about the chrysalis crisis with the author of that fabulous book, Dr. Frank Prosciutti. And one of the things I want to say is he and I were talking about something that I hope we share And that is, here we are, the direction that both of us went in our lives. You know, we both studied in a field, uh, psychology, which, at least for me, and it sounds like for him as well, isn't really a whole lot open or wasn't open at the time to really looking at things of human functioning that go beyond the describable, right? That go beyond the notion of what we can see. You know, but today we're talking about the idea of the chrysalis. So we're going to talk about it. And and I love that Dr. Frank's going to share some stories here with us. But here we are talking, both of us during the break, we were talking about our personal experiences in a lot of ways with how we got to be here. And what does it mean when you butt up against, let's just call it the system, and you decide to do things a little differently? But in the book, Dr. Frank, you talk about, and, and I, I, it's, what is it, a, 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 a quote from the book, of course, Benny Clay, Kelly, uh, Kelly Clarkson, but my mom used to say it all the time. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. 
And it's, it, I think it's a key point in the book. Let's talk about why that is, if you don't mind. I mean, more than just a pop culture phrase that everybody knows, I think a, a majority of the people would believe that. What do you think? Well, I do think that, you know, it's sort of like a fire tempers the steel. There's an element of, you know, we're really motivated to avoid pain. And so if we're in a crisis uh, and we and it's not something that completely takes us out or debilitates us where we can't grow through it, uh, we're usually pretty motivated to try to to try to get back to center again. And if there's something in our own, if we have some areas that are not developed that are inhibiting us from healing and growing, then we're usually willing to bear down and, and, and address it. And maybe at other times we're not going to be prompted to do that. So so it's that kind of it's that the impetus of the crisis itself, if it's it's a matter of really taking a look at my uh, if I socially isolate, but, you know, the crisis leads me to have to uh, come out and be more engaging with people or in any of the key areas I identify. So so there is that element that, you know, that I have a choice here um, and it may take some time because there's certainly some traumas that takes some time for people to absorb. And not everybody necessarily makes the choice to say, OK, I mean, let's just get through it and let sleeping dogs lie. But mm. other people say, you know, what is it? Where am I snagged and getting through this? Why can't I get through this? Because you can think of like how many people go through divorces or have people they love die. Each person handles that differently. Why? Because there's areas of their development that either inhibit their movement through integrating and 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 and, and getting and moving through the crisis, or they have areas that need to be developed. So that's where that makes you stronger. And it's like the metaphor of the butterfly getting out of the, you know somebody when I was saying I was looking at the. Uh, chrysalis metaphor, they said, well, isn't it interesting that it's after the meltdown <laughs> that the butterfly <laughs> or the, the caterpillar is trying to free its wings from the cocoon and that that's the struggle to emancipate from the meltdown and the, and the, tra and the metamorphosis, the transformation process. But I love the idea that the, that the uh, butterflies struggle to free itself from the hold of the cocoon strengthens its wings for the rest of its life. And there's where the metaphor fits. As I try to free myself from the crisis, the, the struggle of doing that strengthens me. And there's where you grow from crisis. And that's how you can grow from crisis. Well, you, you know, look, uh, one of the things I'm really struck by, and I want to talk about this, and really, if you would share some of the, the stories. And first of all, Benny, I just want to say we have two copies of um, you know, Chrysalis Crisis to give away. So we're going to be doing that here for a minute. Um, one of the things that we, we think about in our lives is how we face ourselves. I say that a lot. You know, what happens when we face ourselves, right? But there are, in the book, you lay out a beautiful model or how, let me just call it a roadmap for personal and spiritual growth. And, you know, I can only think about what it is that came to you to develop this in this way. And the book has so many stories. I just have to ask you, you know, when you sat down and said, look, this is what I've learned. I would only imagine that these are some of the things you've learned from the countless people that came to you, these keys of human functioning and how they work and what they do. And some people would argue 
that, yeah, maybe they work sometimes, but maybe they don't. But you're not presenting that. You're presenting a more holistic approach to say, look, these are the things that we need to take a closer look at to look at whether or not we're going to evolve. Is that correct? Or did I just just totally misrepresent what you no, do? No. Next representation. I mean, I, when I think about the key areas, when I think about over the 45 years I've been doing therapy, when people come in, even though I've seen many people deal with, you know, similar crises, like I said earlier, like the loss of somebody they love or a transition divorce, I often think about, well, where is it, where in the development of this particular person are they struggling to come to terms with that? And that's where it could be something about uh, if it was a physical crisis, it was a crisis that is impacting them physically. Uh, it might be a crisis that it, it could be multiple areas, by the way. These are not I, I identify a chapter for each key area. But these are all there. There's certainly intellectual development could run through all the other nine in terms of learning what we need to learn. So I, I feel like um, and I also wanted to build a bridge because I felt like these anomalous experiences, these paranormal or psychic experiences sometimes get, they do not, I did not find a way, and I've been struggling since I've been a kid to try to find a way to incorporate those exceptional experiences in some kind of explanatory model so they can be viewed as part of the human potential. Part, we, like we have the potential to be open-hearted, fully feeling human beings. We also have the potential to have spiritual experiences, whether you're religious or not. We also have the potentials to have psychic experiences, uh, because once one becomes more uh, centered and able to pick up on those subtle impressions um, and, and doesn't reject them because they believe it's just a bunch of hogwash or something, which can inhibit one receiving them, um, they can also be uh, real firm indicators that, yeah, there really is a spiritual dimension to life. And I don't need it to be you know, explained to me through Buddhism or Catholicism or Hinduism or Judaism, I mean, there really is part of this just being human uh, that that opens us up to this these dimensions of consciousness. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, well, no, I, no, go ahead. I mean, I, I, one of the things I'm taught, I'm really struck by is we look at these dimensions of con of 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 consciousness and consciousness and and we look at scenarios in our life, but we don't always do that without the help of another, right? You, sure. you know, at least that's not been my experience. I mean, you know, the idea of discovering me hasn't always been that great without some help. How difficult is it for us to see ourselves in these ways? Well, that's a really good question. Uh -huh. Usually, anytime somebody comes in to see me within the first session, I'll say there's no shame in not knowing things about yourself because we all have an unconscious you me and sigmund freud had one we yep. all don't necessarily see it so it creates a certain need for humility and the, and to realize that i may i may ward off from my own awareness things that could be very helpful for me to know about myself and in my chapter on intimacy i i speak of a, a, an old model called the joe harry window you may remember from, yeah i do remember that and it was a there was that notion of that, you know, there's dimensions of myself. It was like a frame of four, four panes in a window where there's this part of me that I am aware of and you're aware of. There's a part of me that you're aware of. I'm not aware of. There's a part of me that is going to be, we're going to both become aware of it in our dialogue, especially if we open up more with each other. And so we both learn new things about me. But that assumes that I am willing to be open with others and I'm going to let them see me and they might be able to mirror back to me some aspects about myself. 
that are either inhibiting my ability to grow or aspects about myself that I'd like to change, but I wasn't aware. You know, in the psychobabble terms of ego alien and ego syntonic, <laughs> the syntonic notion that it's so much a part of me, I never really thought about it until somebody points out, hey, you know, Frank, you can be a real jerk sometimes when you do X. And I'll think, oh my gosh, <laughs> I didn't realize I was being received that way. And now it's alien to me and I want to change. But if nobody pointed it out, you know, or I was not made aware of it, how could I change it? So, yeah, so it keeps you humble. <laughs> it does keep you humble. And, you know, that's part of what we're going to talk about when we come back. And we have two copies of the book to give away. You know, when we come back, we're going to talk about two things that we don't talk about enough, I don't believe, uh, and that are in the book. Uh, and we rarely, if ever, talk about them together. But we may have a go at it right here. And those two things that I'm talking about, as referred to in the book, the tsunami of feelings, the emotional crisis, and what? A moral crisis? Yeah, what does one have to do to the other? Are they two peas in the same pod? Or is one a pea and another a broccoli? Let's take a short break, everybody. We'll be right back. Conscious Confidence Radio, a timeless wisdom with Sarah Main. Tune in each month on Transformation Talk Radio and join Sarah on an adventurous journey to the deeper level of meaning to move beyond today's world of constant change, confusion, and uncertainty beyond the shadow of fear. This hit show explores key concepts such as confidence, values, and attitude in a dynamic way. To learn more about Sarah and her work, visit sarahmain.com. Tune in to The Jen Royster Show, intuitive guidance to inspire your life, each Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific and 11 a.m. Eastern on TransformationTalkRadio.com. This amazing show is an inspirational hour that will take you on an epic metaphysical journey to discover the spiritual approach to life's greatest challenges. Dr. Jen is an internationally known intuitive counselor, spiritual teacher, and energy healer. Call in for intuitive readings and visit jenroyster.com for more information. Are you done being afraid to jump into the life that's waiting for you? Are you ready for a real shift? I invite you to tune in every Tuesday with me, Tracy L, on the Tracy L. Clark Show, where we will teach you how to live your extraordinary life. At 8 a.m. Pacific on Transformation Talk Radio, where I will provide the tools and the steps needed to help you transcend perceived limitations and move forward with an extraordinary life. For more information, visit me at tracylclark.com. Has your buzz for life buzzed off? Feeling ignored, invisible, and wondering if this is really all there is? The years go by faster as we gain momentum. You're halfway there. Are you gathering speed or puttering out? Hit your stride for the liberating half of life. Comfortable in your skin? You can do better than that. Tune in to Discovering You Again Radio every fourth Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific as host Susan Axelrod encourages listeners to decide what they want, get inspired to action, and face challenges head on. Host Susan Axelrod pulls no punches, encouraging you to grab the brass ring and soar. For more information about Susan, go to www.whatwillyourlegacybe.com. Tap 
Into the Wisdom of Animals, Angels, and Masters with Darcy Pariso on Animal Soul Wisdom Radio. Tune in monthly as Darcy brings insights on how to better understand and deepen our relationships with animals. Working with light and pureness of ancient techniques, Darcy, healer, animal communicator, and medium is here to guide you through this process and provide inspiration to move forward. For more information about working with Darcy, visit DarcyPariso.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome. It's so great to have you uh, all back with us right now. And Benny, we have two copies of uh, this incredible book to give away for folks. I just want to make sure it's the chrysalis crisis. And, you know, what we're talking about here is life's ordeals. You know, can life's ordeals lead to personal and spiritual transformation? And one of the things that I want to just chime in on about this, you know, is the kind of personal and spiritual transformation and I'm going to ask, you know, Dr. Frank about this when we come back what, in a minute. But I have not had a chrysalis crisis that has led to a moderate or temporary personal spiritual transformation. So I can't wait to talk about that. But I'm going to go ahead. I think we'd love to give a copy of this book away. 1-800-930-2819. 2819 Dr. Frank, thank you. It's great to have you here. Oh, could you take a moment and at least let folks know how they can get a hold of you, how they can get their own copy of the book? Sure. Well, I have a website in my name, frankpasciutti.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, spell that last name right, P-A-S-C-I-U-T-I. And it'll come up, it'll bring up, uh, you know, both. It's a site where people will uh, get information about how I do therapy, but also has a page on the book and uh, some uh, ways in which I approach doing psychotherapy with folks, but there's there, and there's also a um, there's also a uh, an email site there, a Google email uh, that's available for people if they wanted to, uh, you know, in any way if they read the book and they have questions. I love hearing questions. It always s- s- triggers me to go to deeper places or places I wasn't clear. So, yeah, boy, I'll tell you, if we had more time in this show, I would want to talk to you about the blog you posted. Uh, a while ago that is so relevant to today and it is we all lose when women are abused suppressed and deprived the seats of power i i i boy we could go into a whole lot about that uh in a hot second but thank you for that and again 1-800-930-2819 you know i was reading your book and i i'd gone through it twice and the second time i it it dawned on me There are two chapters, one that follows the other. One is on the emotional crisis. And and you call it a tsunami of feelings, right? And then following this, and it's interesting that they do follow each other. Uh, I don't know if that was done on purpose or like it's Freudian, as we say. And then the next one is called driving blind moral crisis. And I thought, Dr. Frank, you could have called this chapter anything, but you didn't. And what you called it is, and you start this out by saying ignorance is bliss. So I want to dig a little bit deeper into this and some of the stories you share. And by the way, I just want to say a little bit about how the book's written. Even though we're talking about what some people might call some complex you know, whether you want to call it uh, psychoparanormal things in the book or psychology things in the book, the stories that drive all this home are brilliant. They're just 
brilliant. And so for all of you, I am thrilled we're able to have this conversation. But let's talk about these two chapters. I didn't look at them as separate. Is that probably, so let's do a little psychology on me because I know better, right? <laughs> Is that probably because where I am in looking at the, word, the world today, I'm just seeing these blurred lines with both of them. Is that just me? I don't think so. I think they are related. I think there's an inter, inter, uh, interdependence of all these keys. But certainly, I have found that when that, for, you know, you probably have heard this along the way that all, you know, psychologists are typically not not put on juries because we can usually find understanding explanation and hopefully compassion for the reasons people do things. Now, that doesn't mean that they should not be kept from society if those things are going to cause injury or or hurt to others. But, there, you know, we're not so random. And even sometimes uh, it's rare that you're going to find somebody who's totally you can't find like even the abuser, uh, child abuser has usually been abused. There's usually reasons people do things. And so I remember many years ago uh, after somebody who I was very close to was actually raped and uh, at knife point, And it really bothered me because I cared about this person. And almost within about two weeks, I was referred somebody who was a rapist. And I thought to myself, okay, this is really close to home now because I have feelings about feelings for the person who had the incident perpetrated on him. And I'm supposed to find a way to maintain my professional objectivity, keep my heart open and help this person who's being sent to me for help, who is a rapist. And, you know, it makes you say, okay, so what's going on here? Where you mentioned the unconscious before, where outside of their awareness are they wounded to an extent? where they're acting out in ways that are causing further harm and injury to others. Yeah. And so, you know, if you're a Christian, you always remember the words of Jesus saying, learn to love yep. your enemy. Well, it's yep. pretty hard to do that when it's been perpetrated on you. And a lot of times, similarly, everybody mandates we ought to forgive. Well, I think arriving at forgiveness is a process. And oftentimes it requires that we, we realize these people who do these things, you know, they're kind of blind to that part of themselves that is acting out their unconscious. And even... Even at the most horrendous times, like my favorite person is Carl Jung, and even talked about the rise of Nazi Germany and how there was a, a tendency at that time for the mass, a, a significant, at least a critical mass of people, if not representing everybody, kind of was responding to economic tough times. And they just had somebody speaking out what was in their gut, their lower self, and manifesting this horrendous page in history where so many people suffered, looking for the other, somebody to blame and finding ways that were just coming from the most the lower expressions of human potential and then perpetrated all that just horrendous suffering on other people. So the driving blind aspect, I, I, use, I open up that chapter with the idea that there's, ignorance is not bliss. If you get, like for instance, you get stopped for a ticket and you weren't realizing you were driving over the speed limit, there usually is the saying, ignorance is no excuse for the law. And that refers to both the consequences of, you know, of our actions, but also sometimes where it can put us. But oftentimes people, when I work with people who do things that would be considered moral, like losing sight of their moral compass, there's usually a reason for it. Um, and so you hope that people are able to be, you know, even if they have to put time in prison and they have, we're all responsible for what we do, whether we did it out of ignorance or just not aware, uh, there's still always that chance that for those who are willing to look, they may realize that there's unhealed wounded parts of themselves that cause them to just perpetrate stuff on others. 
And, you know, it's interesting we're bringing up Jung because I think both you and I have probably had um, our, our association with Jung and his work. But I do remember um, a, a statement by his, and I'm probably not going to get it right, um, something to the nature of, uh, of him saying that, you know, Adolf Hitler, uh, uh, he, you know, represented the unconscious of 78 million Germans. Mm-hmm. And, 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 I, and people ask about that. And even in today's world, we're seeing worldwide something similar, right? You know, we're seeing people that are now leaders of countries representing sort of the unconscious, you know, and, and in a lot of cases, the unconscious of people that believe that they have been forced to be silent. Um, and I want to ask you about this because a lot of times in crisis, a lot of times in crisis, people are silent. And I want to talk about this for a minute because it's so much a part of what you're bringing to the forefront here. You know, the number one question that gets asked, and we just saw it play out on, uh, in the news, when a woman is raped or allegedly raped by someone in power, the question that always gets asked, especially if it's old, is why didn't you report it? Why didn't you report it? Why didn't you report it? And we're seeing it with Epstein, right? You know, these women, why didn't you report this abuse? As if people in the middle of a crisis actually have the wherewithal to do something very logical and linear. And the reason I want to talk to you about this is because at that chrysalis stage, right, that you reference in the book, at least when I've been there in your very description of it, I do not know that I would have been the best person to represent the truth of where I was at that moment or the truth in my life. I mean, isn't it true, too, that when you are right there in the middle of that crisis, before you've been able to strengthen your wings, is it true that perhaps we might be our most vulnerable, maybe even our most weakest? Well, you make a good point, and and, and it's something I allude to in the book about how vulnerable that even that caterpillar is in that cocoon, you know, the wind can blow it down from the tree or something can block it from opening up. But you know what? In the middle of a crisis, you, we have not, we did not, you, you mentioned Jung, uh, the, the emotional component is so difficult for people that, you know, if you have enough physical pain, you go unconscious, right? And so you're great torturers of the world, if you will, know how to keep people awake so they can suffer, keep snapping them back, keep bringing them back. If you have enough psychic and emotional pain, you also go unconscious. You render that which you're not able to integrate out of your awareness. You know, Freud called it repression. And that's where you get people who are, you know, maybe people who are more my age who are running through the jungles of Vietnam and their best friend gets his head blown off. And so it's too much to deal with at that point. So you have to push it out of the way. Other, you know, they're afraid of dying themselves. But, you know, and then it slowly tries to creep back up later on when, when, you know, there's no more immediate threat or your home. And it's almost as if the unconscious is saying, hey, you never resolve this. And so it starts percolating back up into awareness and, and you know, like bad, in dreams or in, in reactions or flashbacks. But it's almost as if the unconscious is saying, you know, OK, we haven't finished with this. And so it's bringing it back. And Jung said something about the resolution of things in life. He said, you know, what keeps you anchored 
in crises or the lack of resolution to certain things in your life is emotion. And even knowing that, what I'm saying right now is an intellectual understanding, but it's hard for people to be vulnerable to their feelings because they are threatened from the in, it feels threatening from the inside out. And when somebody is overwhelmed by something, and that's why I use the tsunami, it's like a, it's like a tidal wave coming over you. It's like you, it's difficult to integrate all those feelings. So there's a, an adaptive function which almost causes us to shut down, like the, the mother who's outside the, the house that's burning with her children inside. She goes into denial. It's not even happening. You know, denial and projection, there's, there's defenses out there, as you know, Dr. Pat. Yeah. That some, you know, we need to have some of them. Some of our higher order defenses, like intellectualization or yeah. these other, and some are really low, like denial. It's just not happening or or projection. It's not my problem. It's you, you know. So um, so so those are, are necessary to. But at some point you can get walled in and sealed over and then you shut down a potential. You shut yourself down in order to cope. And so sometimes another crisis will come along in life. And it'll awaken not only it'll not only activate what's going on in the present, but it'll also reactivate what wasn't finished from the past. And that can be an opportunity to heal a couple of things at one time. And then, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, and then then if you don't do that, you close down and you you keep sealing over. I think everything you seal over, you just keep narrowing your bandwidth of ability to feel and understand and have spiritual experiences and feel joy and happiness. You know, part of this, too, as you go through and you really talk about this and, you, and you, you know, the way you go through it and talk about it and the way you sort of outline uh, various crises, so to speak, you know, the one that I felt, you know, and that I studied for a really long time had to do with social crisis. Right. And this mm-hmm. you cover in the book. You call it out of the woods um, and you talk about Rona in this particular uh, chapter, right? Mm -hmm. And I really think that it's very difficult to have a social crisis if you are unaware of the elements. So for example, in my own case, you know, when I lost my job uh, after 24 and a half years, I wanted to understand the phenomena of this. And if you go back to 92, People were not talking about downsizing. I mean, we were the second company in the country to downsize AT&T at that time. Mm -hmm. And I went on to study because I saw the pain. I saw the pain of what that did to people that had long-term service. And this was the repeal of the psychological contract, but it was also the repeal of many, many other things. So I went on to study it not knowing that the period of time that it took me to study it, and at the end, in 2001, you know, when I looked at psychological contract violation, what I realized was that I had been studying something that was in a social crisis holding pattern. And what I mean by that is, there wasn't enough time for people to call it a crisis, We didn't have enough information for people to know what to do about it. And I still don't think we do. Are we kind of, as as my mama would say, that's when you kind of feel you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. And that's the sense I get when we look at some of the things that you're really bringing to the forefront, that right now people are really stuck as they see it between a rock and a hard place. 
um, in a lot of ways in what we're willing to close our eyes about. And in particular for me, the atrocity of the border at the borders. Um, you know, we had this over the weekend. I think that was uh, the first protest I've ever seen. But to treat other human beings in a way that whether you agree with the immigration policy or not, how easy is it for us to forget that at the risk of some of our decisions is another human being? And I'm not just talking about in politics, but I really think that at the brunt of social crisis, we see this come up over and over again. And I think we have amnesia. Well, I, I, I do appreciate what you're saying. And I, I think of the social crisis as both on a larger scale with groups and countries uh, and you get more of a social consciousness and I, or on a very individuated level where somebody who's not aware of you know, what it takes to be socially able to engage with others may have, you know, may have, may go about having crises because there's lack of connection with others. But I, I um, actually went mm -hmm. to an interesting conference uh, last week and, and somebody was talking about, some a professor from Stanford was talking about how when things get really bad, we look to blame others and we always find a group to blame. <laughs> you know, <it's> so <laughs> much, we, you know, I had a friend for dinner last night who's Jewish and I said, you know, I said, is this the first time that the Jewish people are not being blamed for something? You know, and, and she said, well, we're not out of the woods completely. But you know what? It seems like, the, unfortunately, the uh, people coming up from Central America uh, are the ones who are catching the brunt of it. But it, it. And in many ways, and I think you're right, it, it's easy to lose perspective on, on the identifying. It takes a great deal of empathy and compassion to say, hey, you know, how about if that was your child? Or how about if that was you when you just traveled how... You know, I'm not, I'm not saying you should take a side with uh, immigration one way or the other, but, it, but in the idea that, you know, sometimes these social upheavals, um, oftentimes, I think if you can, you know, people almost need to deaden themselves to not be able to imagine, there's like a lack of imagination, what it might feel like to be on the other side of the experience. You know, if you're uh, one of the groups that's ousted or or not welcomed in or or being punished because you've been identified or everybody wants to rally around believing you're the problem or your group's the problem. In my book with Rana, when you were referring to that, Rana. there's on a very uh, specific um, area that, you know, there's a man by the name of Daniel Goleman who talked about, and I, I like this idea, he said, we always think about intellectual IQs. And he, huh. talks, he talks about emotional IQ. Yep. Yep. and social IQ. Yep. And I think, wow, you know, it is interesting because if you look around, you see some people who have really high social IQs and, you know, is it inherent in who they are or were there actual things that were learned? Are they just more astute and alert to the social interactions? And when they're not and they're finding themselves out in, out in the world in places where they need to be more aware socially and learn how to get included or learn how to be more able to blend in with others, sometimes that lacking area can create a crisis for them. And that's a little bit like the story and, and how I addressed in the social crisis. It was more on an individual basis, but I think the points you're making about how groups can, you know, come together to create ma larger social crises, that's also worth investigating. And I think a lot of that can probably be picked apart to look back at whatever greed, individual areas of our own psyches where we're fearful we're not aware of how frightened we are and we're trying to find somebody we can push back. This probably affects all the different areas, many of the keys that I identify.
Yeah. And, you know, I was struck by two things when you talked about uh, uh, when you talked about this this person in the book. I was really struck by the fact how similar uh, she and I were. And then I got to the section where her Myers Myers Briggs was uh, INFP, which is mine. And I thought about this a lot and I thought about, you know, what it takes to really emerge from the cocoon, strengthened, aware, and alert. Um, And I know we've got about a minute or so left, and I wanted to ask you that question. I know it's it's a tough question because you answer it throughout the book, but given that we live in today's world, you know, what would you say is our greatest strength we have as humanity and being to emerge, being able to emerge. Well, I'd say we all have the capacity to learn from our experiences, even if they seem they're random and arbitrary, and they just come to our dark doorstep uninvited. That we have, we have within us the strength uh, to find a way to not only navigate through the experience, but also to learn from it, and that contributes to our growth. And we're all in the process of evolving and becoming. So I'm a believer. I'm an optimist. Uh, in believing in our potentials and that like I like Ram Das who used to say yeah. it's, all, it's all grist for the growth mill it's hard yeah. to have that perspective when you're in the middle of it but that's right you're committed to self-confrontation self-investigation self-discovery pretty much all our experiences if you raise your level of mindfulness have something to teach us well uh, first of all I thank you for such a very insightful and easily comprehended way to really lay this out for us, because I see your book as a call to action, beyond a doubt. Thank you for today. One last question. I would love to know what your personal message is and tell folks how they might get a copy of your book. Well, it's available on Amazon, and my message is, uh, you know, using using um, our experiences in life uh, for growth and evolution. And uh, that doesn't you don't have to wait for a crisis. I only use crises. Yep amplifies and helps us singularly look at these key areas. But uh, there are many times, you know, if you're committed to self-growth, you can make a lot of headway without having to wait for something to prompt you along the path. And, you know, this is, like I said before, it's not just a call to an action, but it's an invitation and an invitation that is so much needed. Thank you so much. Please give out your website one last time. Okay. It's uh, uh, frankpashuti at hotmail.com. And that, uh, or the website is frankpashuti.com, and you'll get everything you need off that. Plus a couple of blog entries I had, one of which you mentioned earlier. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that one that you've got on that site right there, boy, it's taken me a couple times to read through it and try to assess where we are today versus when you wrote it. I think if you did an update on that, I think, my goodness, not much would change. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for today. And I want to thank Fanny for pushing all the right buttons. And I especially want to thank all of you for being so amazing. Thank you for tuning us in and turning us on. If you missed any part of this, go to the thedrpatshow.com. All right, everybody, we will see you next time. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.